Well, I guess it would be nice if I could touch your body. I know not everybody has got a body like you. Hello, world. Welcome to the very first episode of the Adaoist podcast. My first guest is my brother, friend, explorer, Magellan Dow. It got a little funny towards the middle there when we were on the topics of marijuana and farting. You'll, you'll hear it, but uh, not bad for our first episode. Magellan is in his third year of um, his master's level of pharmacy school. Um, and, you know, he's, he's always been an inspiration to me. Um, he's always been very creative musically. And uh, he's just so smart and hardworking. And uh, I couldn't have asked for a, a better first guest. Please welcome my brother from the same mother, Magellan Yidal. Hello. Yeah, we do this. We do sound the same. <laughs> People be like, he's just, you know, editing his sound <laughs> so that he thinks there's a guest on. He's his own guest <laughs> for 26 episodes. Yeah. Um, so this is it. This is ground zero. This is the, I suppose, the first, maybe, a trial. We'll see. Or not. This could be the real deal. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've carefully thought about what I wanted this to be and how important it was. But I think, I don't know. I just, sometimes you just got to go with it. You got to start. You look at the, down the edge of the cliff and you're like, okay, here goes. Let's, uh, let's ruin, ruin your life. Let's do it together. Just yeah, us man. Yeah. No, look, this is, I, I can't, I couldn't, first of all, let me say this. I can't imagine a better guest to have on for the first time than you. You, uh, it, it's a scary thing, but to have you by my side, man, it's, it, I think this is going to be a good journey. Thank you, bro. You know, I remember when we were growing up, we would always do some, we would make tents, you know, in the fort in the basement. Yeah. We're always imagining shit and <laughs> you would always, uh, you'd always make your videos. And then the, if you think about it, this is sort of the new <laughs> era. Yeah. We've sort of, we've switched, uh, we've crossed the paradigm. I think you're, mm -hmm. I think you are returning sort of back to that eagerness, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. to want to be creative and stuff. Yeah. And it's been, you know, working, working at a, as a teacher, ironically, sometimes that, that you get suppressed with your creativity. You know, there's a lot of things that you gotta, you have to do and there's really no time to to be imaginative. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to get these kids to go through their skills so that they could be, you know, successful. And, you know, in doing so, you don't really foster uh, a creative opportunity for yourself. Right. You know, um, you could do that through, through lesson planning and, and, and coming up with really good activities for the students, but still there's, there's a lot of you that kind of has to get, uh, that's sacrificed. Sure. You know, for, for the sake of, of, um, them accomplishing something. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's kind of, uh, it's, that's been around for about 11 years for me. And now I have an opportunity to, to rant however long I want to, uh, to, to have interesting people on, and to kind of build this from the, the ground up however I want it to be. And that's, I've never had that experience before. Right. You know, you and I being, well, growing up, you know, Catholic, that's, you're, you're given that ideology. You know, you don't really have a choice. Um, and so that was, that was something that I had to, to break away from too. You sure. know, that's, uh, so there's a lot. This podcast is going to be just... <laughs> Therapy for me. <laughs> That's good, man. 
<laughs> it's all about me. That's, I think you, there, there aren't enough selfish teachers, I think. You know, a lot of them don't reflect on what they want to see in the kids. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, that's not really their place to, to, uh, I guess, not, what am I trying to say? Like, I think, I think what you're trying to say is that there's, it, it, it there's not a lot of, of room for you to, to read, read shit that you're interested in. My, that, that sound, by the way, in the background is my fucking dog. <laughs> <laughs> there's no, I can't afford a studio. So this is, we're really recording out of my own home in my living room. And so my dog is just being a little, uh. He's wonderful, but, but I think what I was trying to say is there, there isn't enough there. You're reinforced to think that you, you are not in the place to put those ideologies on these kids. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that I think is really dangerous Mm -hmm. to like you, like to your kids. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that? Do you feel like you're sort of told to censor yourself? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, you know, look, it's a public school. I get it. I understand. They, it, it is all about just sticking to the material and, and not giving your ideologies. I understand that aspect of it because you really aren't supposed to instill those values. You have kids who are coming from all different cultures and your ideas, your ideologies really shouldn't, shouldn't mix in there. But there's a paradox with that because now so much of learning is tied to the individual and tied to culture and tied to you know human psychology and development and that's something that you can't really separate sure because you might as well just take the teacher out of the picture you know i think when teachers do provide their own ideologies and their own um values perhaps it's it's important to hear them and be like yeah i don't agree with that mm-hmm. or I do agree with that, and here's why. You know, I think being exposed to a lot of different ideologies and values is such an incredibly important aspect of learning and developing your own, you know, philosophy or your own um, self worth, even just by hearing various points of views, even the teachers, even the teachers who's supposedly more, you know, the most informed person in the room. Um, I'm not forcing these kids to believe in what I believe. I'm saying what I believe and you have to figure out whether or not that makes sense to you. Yeah. You know? Uh, And I think that is probably the most educational um, tool, you know, is, is figuring out for yourself and not being told how it has to be. Right. You know? So that's, that's definitely, uh, one thing that I think this podcast may, may do. And, you know, it's, I think it's something that, uh, we can't shy away from. We can't keep shying away from what, what, what is supposed to be said, what needs to be said, what, you know, what, uh, we can't shy away from, from the, the diversity that's out there. Right. So, you know, that's a big part of it. God damn. So let me ask you this. You, you are uh, in your third year in your master's uh, level mm-hmm. classes, right? For pharmacy. Right. And you even kind of feel a bit hampered with uh, perhaps your own creativity maybe when it comes to, to that stuff. Right. You know, what, how has your experience been uh, being a student in, in higher education? There... There isn't really any, um, I guess, opportunities to be creative in the field. Um, I mean, it really depends on what you, uh, what you choose to go into, um, because a lot of the stuff you're you're sort of playing by the rules. Yeah. You, there's a there's a going by the book approach, mm-hmm. uh, especially when you're in like the clinical field or something like that. Um, but that's why I thought about, you know, educational 
uh, avenues. Mm-hmm. I thought about teaching at the College of Pharmacy, uh, teaching students how to be pharmacists. Yeah. Um, that's probably, I think, one of one of the very uh, undershadowed avenues of pharmacy. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants to go to like clinical. They want to be a doctor. Uh, they want to uh, be on the field. Um, but I, I think that the most important part about becoming a pharmacist is the transition from being into a student mm-hmm. to a pharmacist. Mm-hmm. And is that something that like you, do you feel that you just need that, that visceral experience with, uh, with the stuff that you learn that you can't just learn it for your own sake, that, that you feel the, not necessarily the obligation, but, um, the need to just relay that information and instill the knowledge to other people. Yeah. 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 That's important. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't know what that is. Is that like a Pasqua thing? (laughs) (coughs) Probably. I think, uh, yeah, I don't know. Do we have a lot of teachers? Yeah. Yeah. We have, we have a lot of teachers. We have, I mean, you know, uncle Mark in, in the Philippines, he's, he's not only, um, I think in the medical field, but he's also, kind of in that the teacher instructor role. Yeah. No. Um, so I don't know, maybe that's, I think the thing about our family is that we like, we're very proud of our work. Um, I think we wanna, we like instilling, we just like instilling knowledge. I don't know, that's something that I've picked up. Yeah. From like Tita Marina to, you know, Uncle Bill. It's, yeah. a, it's always been this, uh, Instilling and sharing knowledge. I don't know. Uncle Bill would always, <laughs> he would, we have this uncle who, who's just a character. He's a, uh, a lot of people know his, his matter of fact attitude. And, you know, he, he would always instill or maybe not instill, but definitely be, uh, be didactic in his tone. He's, 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 he was always telling it how it is and what we need to do and what we need to, you know, how we should approach things. But I mean, you kind of need that. Yeah. It's like a very, uh, Mr. Miyagi mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. Unorthodox and, uh, you know, but he's, he was so wise. Right. You, you wouldn't realize that you were learning life mm-hmm. lessons mm-hmm. until you, you follow through with something and then you, you think of uncle Bill. Yeah. Something like that. I always, I always tell my kids, you got to talk to old people. They're hilarious. Yeah. They say the, the most racist and <laughs> you know, funny shit, but it's like they can get away with it because they're, they're old. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, all right, we have a 90 year old aunt, you know, let her do it and think whatever she wants. She's, she's, she's the oldest person in our family. <laughs> She's also going to be the second guest on this. Oh yeah, you series. know we need her. Yeah, I think. Imagine the stories that she's got. Yes. Yeah, telling us about World War II and yeah. What you? What did you pick up again from from her? One of the most remarkable things was hearing the firsthand experiences of of seeing the death a, march, right? The death march. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know how her her father was a part of that. Um, and how our great, great grandfather was, was also kind of the the governor of that town and how he hid uh, a lot of weapons and, and food and supplied the, the guerrilla army with it and, um, how he was tortured, you know, because he was withholding all that, that information. And, um, he was, he was just a, a fighter you know, and a survivor and, uh, hearing stories about our grandfather in the, in the death march. But she, she, re, she told me this story about her be, a beheading that she saw. Yeah. 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 She was a little girl. I think she was like five and, uh, there was some people who stole, uh, something and you have, you know, two Japanese soldiers, one general with a samurai sword and they were all kind of kneeling in the middle of, of, uh, the square. And then just, you see the, someone unsheath a samurai just with one quick, you know, swipe. She, she sees the beheading and then the eyes are it's like blinking crazy. at her. Yeah. God yeah. Damn. You know, and she's seen dog fights in the air. 
God, can you imagine? And she's so, she's so pleasant. (laughs) Still, (laughs) she's the sweetest. (laughs) You would never think it. And um, well, what impresses me the most about Tita Marina, our aunt, is that she's, I mean, she remembers a lot. Yeah. She remembers a lot. You know, the, the details and she knows the names of everyone, you know, the dates. It's like, wow, that's, that's impressive. That's impressive. But yeah, you're right. She's always happy. You know, she's always laughing and, and kind of enjoying, um, enjoying whoever she's talking to. Yeah. You know, um, but yeah, that's, I think that's a Pasqua thing. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Um, it's interesting though, because I think, uh, I think with family, you know, you don't really growing up, we've, we've tried so hard to, to be PhD, right. you know, to be doctors, yeah. to be, uh, just really up there in your profession. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of pressure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> that's a lot of pressure. That's, that's, uh, that, that pervades through all generations. I mean, everyone does. It's not just limited to Filipinos in our family, but I mean, there's something about so many, so, there's so many professionals in our family. Yeah. You know, you don't want to be the one who just does podcasts all the time <laughs> and sits in his pajamas and in, in, in the afternoon. <laughs> And tries to get paid for it. Yeah. Um, This is gold we're making. (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) I hope so. How do we monetize this? We get, uh, (laughs) start doing ads. Well, yeah, I think that's how it is. I think you do ads and then, uh, you know, you get a certain amount, dollar amount per ad. Um, what, what would you want to, what what is the number one thing you'd want to advertise here? Um, hmm. if you, I don't know. I, I think that they find you. Yeah, they ask, you have to. They look at your your stuff and you're like, okay, yeah, he's worthy to to sponsor. We'll do it. I think that's that's how it works. And then they they give you spots or something. And then you just is there something them. you'd never you'd never ever advertise? I'd advertise anything. Yeah, whatever's out there because I I would love the money. <laughs> <laughs> Even like the butt plug company. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Give me give me twenty of those. <laughs> if that's what it takes to make twenty dollars, I'll do it. <laughs> Bravo, man. <laughs> Look, you're if you're a child listening to this, I mean you've I'm sure heard that term before. <laughs> Whatever. You're gonna have you're gonna encounter it. Your, your whether students, physically or your students have <laughs> certainly heard of butt plugs before. Yeah. And look, if you're a parent and you're like, my God, this is coming out of my child's teacher's mouth. Look, just don't let them listen to it. All right. (laughs) And if you don't, they're going to find a way anyway. So we're all just in this together, this awkward (laughs) conversation. Just, and if you don't like it, don't listen to it. Okay. That's it. I mean, it's like, what do you, what do you do? with this, you know, where do you go? And I think, um, I think this podcast is something that, uh, it can go anywhere. And that's scary to me. That's scary to me after going through all the ropes, being a teacher, going through your bachelor's, your, you know, national board, master's degree. And it it all comes to just uncertainty. All that work to just be a maybe, I don't know, man. That's scary to me. But I've never felt more, I've never felt more free. Yeah. You know, in, in doing something like this. And I think jujitsu like frees me at the moment. You know, you don't, you can't think, you can't stop thinking about what you're doing at that moment. But mm-hmm. With this stuff, it's like, it's the first time that no one's given me anything and says, okay, you're in charge of this. It's, I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it from the ground up. Yeah. You know, that's, it's scary, but like, yeah, I've never felt more free, I guess. Feels good, man. Yeah. It's scary, but it's fun. It's good. It's fun. Uh, 
when you become a pharmacist and you give me money <laughs> and you instruct, what, what do you hope to uh, do with that other than instruct and instill knowledge? And what do you, what do you hope to do with the, the pharmacological uh, aspect of it? I guess, I don't know, help, helping people feel better, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I think the number one uh, misconception people have about pharmacy is that it's just drugs, you know? Mm-hmm. You got a problem, you give it a drug. The, I think one of the first things we learn in pharmacy school is look at lifestyle first, you know? That, that should be your number one thing if they're eating bad, if they're not exercising, you know? Mm-hmm. We're not told to just say, you know, throw a bunch of drugs at it until the problem's gone. Mm-hmm. We look at everything. We, we take everything into consideration. We, we, we are looking at, you know, your, your marital status, your living status, your occupation. We're taking all those things into consideration. And, we, you know, we're, we're told to look for things that go beyond the medications. You know, you kind of have to infer a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, you, if you fix somebody's diet, if you fix somebody's um, activities, um, get them counseling or something, that's, you know, the first thing we're told is not to throw drugs at it. And I think that's that's something people don't really get. And, you know, you go to pharmacy school to drug people up and stuff. You know, there's a lot that goes behind the, the profession. Um, but yeah, like we're told, we're told to, to change people's lifestyle habits first. Mm-hmm. How, well, well, how much does that really, how much does that go into practice? Because, you know, when you, when we hear, uh, uh, critics of, of, uh, the, pharmaceutical companies, you know, right. how much, how much do, does that actually come into practice for, for people, for patients? That's the thing. You would think that p- these, uh, corporate people no. who are involved in, um, these drug price gouging, uh, you know, scandals, mm-hmm. not even scandals, you know, they publicize this information mm-hmm. and they say, you know, this is, sorry, this is what's going to happen. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. there's no way behind it, but that's because those corporate positions aren't held by people with knowledge of the drug and what goes behind making a drug and the cost of distributing it and how many people need it. They don't have somebody I think who is qualified to, to know all those things in that position in that corporate position, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So is there, is there been a push to, to get people, you know, from the ground into those, those corporate positions, or is that not going to happen? That's, it's, I, it's probably not going to happen. Yeah. You know, we're, we're just taught how to, how to use the drugs. Mm -hmm. There's, there's no one, there's no pharmacist in charge of, you know, monitoring, uh, all these things that go into distributing a drug. Mm -hmm. How do you, how do you feel like it's going to, how would you want it to be? What would be the kind of the ideal, um, I guess, how would it ideally look like if you were um, to do it your way? Free, free healthcare. Yeah, yeah. Everything free, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And, and you having kind of control over obviously how to, uh, you know, not only what drugs to administer, but also the holistic patient. Well, mm-hmm. like there's, there's a lot that goes into free healthcare. Um, and I think pharmacists not being able to prescribe medications as they, they see fit is a big problem with that because we, you know, generally pharmacists are the first people that a patient sees, you know, that we're the most accessible people. You can just go to a Walgreens and like ask a pharmacist a question or something like that. And by, uh, I think by freeing up those resources, instead of having patients go to a doctor immediately have them prescribe something 
you know, go to the pharmacist first. They could probably answer your question about, you know, your backache, a cold or something that you're having, you know, circumvent that whole, you know, doctor responsibility Mm -hmm. and having to pay, I don't know, like $30 for an office visit or something. Yeah. Is this, is this a lot of what your, uh, your peers share at this point of view too? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, we have these, these groups of students who go to Springfield Mm -hmm. and, you know, and they're petitioning for, for these things. Yeah. They're, uh, you know, they're writing letters to their legislators. They're, I think they're voicing your opinion is one of the, the best things you can do as a pharmacy student right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's how it is too with us, with, with teachers. It's, you know, how much, uh, how much bureaucracy do we have to get through in order to, you know, to really work autonomously. Yeah. You know, there's a book by uh, George Willis and uh, William H. Schubert and how they talk about uh, you as a, as a teacher, you're also an artist. Right. You know, um, and how much, how much of an artist can we really be with our curriculum? <clears throat> you know, how much of, of an artist can you really be with your practice? Mm-hmm. You know, because that's an art too. Understanding pieces of... Uh, an individual and kind of putting this part to a whole concept of their well-being. I mean, that's in a way that's, that's kind of an art, right? you know, and, um, we don't really see ourselves as artists anymore, especially in the, in the education field. We're kind of just people who, who administer and do, right. You know, very synonymous with, with pharmacists Mm -hmm. or at least, at least the general opinion of them. Right. It's just like, I just go up to this person, they, prescribe and then they provide. Right. That's what we do. We prescribe and we provide. Right. And, uh, it's, it's, I don't, it's unfortunate to see it diluted into that sense. Mm -hmm. Right. Like in parent teacher conferences, essentially what you are is just, you're, you're in a maintenance worker, you know, like they, they say, what, what do I need to work? What does my child need to work on? Mm -hmm. All right. Well, they have problems in X, Y, and Z. Maybe you get a tutor in there, you know, tune it up a little bit here tighten these screws here and then you're, you'll be good to go and they'll get that a, and they'll be, you know, it's like, I don't, (laughs) it's, it's more than that. Yeah. It's, it's understanding how they respond to other kids, you know, how they, how do they resolve conflict? You know, how do they approach problems? And it's, you know, how, why are they, it's more than just them not participating in class. It's how, what material are they interested in? Right. You know, what motivates them? And that's, there's a lot that goes in there. You can't figure that out on, on week one or week two or week three. Right. Sometimes the second semester reveals the true potential of that child. And, you know, it, it's, it takes work. It takes work. And then all of a sudden they're gone and they move on to, you know, the next grade. And then mm-hmm. now you got to start over again right. and get to know 120 more kids. <laughs> You know, and so you can't help but just, if you're part of that system, prescribe and provide. Right. You know, and um, it's it's weird how seeing that correlation in both of our professions. Right. You know, um, how do you solve that? <laughs> you know, how do you, other, you know, obviously speaking out and expressing yourself and, and being vocal about it is definitely one way. Um, but you know, how do you make those changes at, at its core? I suppose I don't know. Do you find that that uh, you would like to collaborate with peers post graduation and and beyond? Or, yeah, yeah. Have you guys talked about kind of collaborating, creating an organization or something? Or yeah, there's a there's a bunch of organizations yeah. uh, right now that students are a part of. Um, I, you know, mainly just reaching out to your legislators. Yeah. Seriously, like writing emails does a lot. Did you hear about, um, something that you said not to mention on the podcast? (laughs) (laughs) Well, yes. Yes. Yeah. You heard about the marijuana. Yeah. yeah. Okay. (laughs) Tell (laughs) Tell me more about that. Um, the, uh, there's a town hall meeting. Yeah. Okay. About it. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's, it's talking about, uh, how it's, it's going to get taxed and we're 
it's just going to be as a recreation more money for the city as a recreation or for yeah no yeah. recreational because right now Illinois is medicinal um, and I know a lot of other places are catching on now um, so what what is that going to look like uh, how does that affect the pharmaceutical companies because I'm sure you know I I don't know yeah no one knows no one knows in this town hall is there uh, when is that ha- happening is that taking place that actually happened on uh, April this past Wednesday okay yeah. What was the outcome? Was there? I don't know. I think they're still making a decision. Yeah. Um, it'd be interesting to hear what people say. Yeah. You know. Um. <laughs> do you want to hit pause? You want to yeah. take a break? Yeah. yeah. Let's do that. We'll take a break. Yes. What? Uh, all right. Mm-hmm. No, you asked me, dude, does farting happen a lot in jujitsu? Yeah, it happens a lot. It actually happened to me twice. There's a dude who uh, we were rolling, and then sure enough, he he goes to full mount, and I'm on the bottom, and I just because you're he presses on uh, your diaphragm. Yeah, and um, you know, your butthole goes woo. <laughs> But it's one of those things that everyone kind of just, you know, it happens. It happens. Did, uh, uh, were you there the, the, the night Anthony Bourdain? Yeah, that was, gym? yeah, I, Anthony Bourdain attended our academy and that was probably one of the, the, one of the coolest things that's ever happened to me. So I think it was over the summer, but I was a white belt and, uh, I was like a white belt in four stripes. And for those of you who don't know Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, uh, after you get four stripes on your white belt, you move up to your blue belt, okay? So I had four stripes on my white belt and uh, you know we were just going to, through a regular core class, but then everyone in comes in, uh, Anthony Bourdain. I was like, oh, what the hell's going on? Are they filming a show? No, when he travels, he, he takes Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah. He does Jiu-Jitsu every day. And so when he travels, he, he finds places. And so he was there and I, I couldn't believe it, you know, because here's the guy who inspired me to get into jujitsu in the first place. Oh you know, yeah. The first, yeah. The first time I heard about him doing jujitsu was on the, the Joe Rogan podcast. And, uh, you know, Anthony Bourdain, he was telling me how he was his late fifties and he just decided to take it up because, you know, his, uh, his wife did it. And I'm like, man, you know what? If someone that old, <laughs> sorry, Anthony Bourdain, if someone, you know, old like Anthony at that age can do jujitsu, it's like, why can't I? What's my excuse? Right. You know, and so here was the guy that inspired me in, into getting into it. But when we were rolling towards the end of class, well, I, would, I didn't roll with him. There was, uh, he was rolling with two other people. And um, at the end of class, you know, I'm, uh, I get promoted to a blue belt. So that was just like surreal. Nice. That was surreal. The same day Anthony Bourdain was there. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. That's that very class, you know? So I, I like how that was kind of the, one of the rare moments in my life where it just came full circle. Yeah. You know, just by taking risks. Yeah. Cool, bro. Yeah. It was fun. I uh, think I'm, uh, I want to try it. I think I think mm. I'm gonna have more time next year to do that mm. kind of thing. It's it's a weird thing because it's it's so out of your comfort zone. Yeah, and you know you if you don't go a lot, if you don't go frequently, it's hard to get back. It's hard to get back. Um, you know it. It's but there's something about just being there and and getting through class. And feeling so not only refreshed physically, but just mentally. Yeah. Do you remember your first class? There? I do. I was terrified. Yeah. I was terrified because, you know, you're in a room full of, of, of large guys, skilled guys. Yeah. And it's like you, the only thing you're thinking about is how much of an idiot you look like in front of them. That's what I'm afraid of. Yeah. Oh, dude. yeah. Absolutely. Everyone is. Even even people who, you know, are who attend. There's always that that moment of of insecurity that happens all the time right 
that's a big part of it. But, but I think that's the beautiful thing about, about it too, because you know, you're, you're facing your insecurities yeah. and you're addressing it and you're not escaping it through, you know, doing some other activity. Um, you're, you're kind of facing it head on right? and you come out of it, you know, sweaty and gross at the end. And that's, that's a beautiful thing. That's a, that's a big metaphor for, for how struggle should, you know, end up at least. Yeah. Is going through that. But yeah, man, we were never like <clears throat> rough and tumble. No, not at all. Either. Hell no. We were, we were all about sticking our nose in the books and, you know, playing yeah. music. And those are, those are great things too. Those are great things too. But yeah, we never did anything I wish like we physical. Played, I wish we played a lot more basketball. Yeah. Or like, I don't know. Well, just dad some, was always on some kind of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't care. He didn't let us win, which, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad for, but still it would have been nice to just like, let us shoot dad. <laughs> what did he put the, uh, that 11 foot high <laughs> basketball hoop on top of the garage so that you, <laughs> your free throws would always go over when you were playing in the, in the gym. Yeah, he would make he would make uh, our basketball hoop a foot high than it needed to be, and so during basketball games, I would shoot just beyond the backboard, and, <laughs> and every, no one could figure out why. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, set I know up for why. success. Yeah, but nothing physical, nothing yeah. physical. And imagine being part of a family like the Gracie family, where that that physical. Um, you know, art is a, is an heirloom. It's, yeah. it's tradition. It's something right. that's been passed down through many generations and through many families. And it's like, you know, you're, you're kind of a part of that. That's really cool. That's something that, you know, you, and we always wanted to be martial artists growing up. Like we always wanted to be ninjas or, you know, we've, we fake fought. Yeah. You know, um, I think that's something yeah. we like, I don't know, craved like mm-hmm. a physicality or something. Mm hmm. Um, yeah, being an action hero. Yeah, you know, being that shit was cool. It was. All right, I remember I took uh, taekwondo. Yeah, and I think learning discipline mm-hmm. in that way was really good at a young age. Um, but like you know, just dedicating yourself is what I I wanted to do. I don't I. I guess I stopped taking it because I didn't want to take it, but mm-hmm. I, I kind of wish I stuck with it. You know, mm-hmm. like I wanted, I wanted to be part of that culture. Yeah. Mom was telling me that you, you, you like, you were too confident that you felt like you knew everything because you watched <laughs> movies. And so she's, oh yeah. We had to take him out of there. He thinks he knows everything. <laughs> Why he do that? <laughs> yeah. Taekwondo's, Amazing. I, I actually wanted to learn a little bit more striking um, just to know it, you know? You don't do a lot of, do you, is there a lot of like, uh, like striking? Well, in in jiu- jiu-jitsu? no, which is one of the reasons why I took jiu-jitsu in the first place. Um, didn't want to get hit in the face, but it, it teaches you how to avoid or at least limiting the, uh, the impact of a hit. Yeah. You're going to get hit. If you're in a street fight, you're going to get hit. But you like, know? you know, I think it was... You told me ninety percent of street fights usually end up on the ground. Oh yeah, yeah. They end up on the ground. You know, it's like well, a lot of people, you know, romanticize about you know Bruce Lee kicking someone in the face in a street fight, right. but it's like, well, what if someone grabs your, you know, grabs you below the hip and then brings you down, like a double leg? Yeah. What do you do then, you know, and it's it's a it's so pragmatic for women to learn too, mm-hmm. obviously because. It's, you know, we're always put in those vulnerable positions and, and women especially. Right. And it's, it's nice to see in the academy, you know, uh, a lot of women enrolling. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's, I think, a very important thing, you know, knowing how to do your, defend yourself. Um, and I think kids, seeing kids do it yeah. and kids know. Yeah. Like those, there's so many cool videos about, you know, young jujitsu artists and they're just, they're incredible, you know, and you got to learn. You got to learn how to do all that stuff. It's also body awareness that I found an incredibly important thing mm-hmm. that came from this is being aware of, uh, you know, 
your your flexibility, how how your spine moves, how your neck moves, how to contort your bodies in ways that you you know you weren't used to. Yeah. And knowing kind of your limits, it's 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 certainly something that uh, has opened my awareness uh, to my 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 physique. Yeah. You know? Jiu-jitsu crosses over, I think, a lot into your teaching philosophies. Yeah. And that's good. Yeah, that's that's another thing too, man. Like having jujitsu inform not only your way of life, but like your my own profession. Right. You know, I'm more d- direct with my kids. I'm, uh, I don't necessarily, tr- you know, teach them as I would uh, a jujitsu class, but there's certainly something about being more authoritative in my voice, but also being very um, accepting yeah. of of their their needs and accommodating to that. And How are those um, instructor <clears throat> classes? Good. Over at yeah. yeah, they they're so wonderful for giving me an opportunity and entrusting me with, uh, you know, uh, instructing the the eight to eleven year olds. That's cool. That's eye opening. Yeah, it's eye opening. They do come, you like that age range? I've never I've never taught that age range, sure. and that was the first time. And I was I was really really hesitant, but you know, sometimes you kind of just jump in. You got to figure it out, and that's what I love about it. And I'm, I'm constantly trying to shape myself as an instructor and not just as a student, but having those kids, you know, getting to know how, how playful they are, but also how, how, uh, malleable they are too. Sure. Like when you stop and talk to them and ask them questions, they're like, all what they want to do is just engage, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, you, you kind of see the brilliance, not only in their, their, abilities as a jujitsu student, but just their responses. It's like, they're so intuitive and they, they understand what it means to be strong, but also like what it means to be bullied. Yeah. You know? And, uh, the one thing that I certainly emphasize is that we're a team and that you should never feel threatened. You know, you should never feel like you're getting bullied in here. And I think they, they pick up on that and they like that. Yeah. You know, they like that this is a place where you could be physical, be competitive, but also be incredibly respectful. Yeah. You know, so. Do, do kids still bully in high school? Like oh what, God. It's, I, yeah. I'm curious to know what, how it manifests itself now. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like I'm kind of detached from that generation. Oh yeah. 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 Well, I mean, bullying manifests itself in social media. Yeah. You know, but the thing about it is that it's separated by screen. Now, when you're bullying kids in person, I think we've, I don't know. I think we need to respond more. We have to kind of deconstruct how we're responding to bullying in that say whatever you want to to me, but I don't care. I'm going to, I have self-worth and I have, I don't, I'm not affected by what you say. They're just words, you know, and it's, it's less about you than it actually is the bully. And I think when we look at it and really emphasize it through that standpoint, we can really overcome that. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, there's, there's bullies out there. There's also assholes out there, (laughs) you know, and what are you going to do with every asshole? Are you going to, are you going to tell on that asshole? Or are you going to be like, you're not, I'm not going to allow you to hurt me. Right. I'm just not going to. And being able to defend yourself adds to that that arsenal of defense. You know, not only am, am I not going to be affected by what you say to me, but you're also not going to physically hurt me, right? Yeah. Now. You know, that's that's a very empowering thing. Um, and I think that's how responding to bullies should be. You know, the bullies alone, they're they're alone, yeah. and so they need they need that attention. There's uh, oh God, what's that movie? Uh, it's called the imitation game, and it it talked about how the uh, the advent of the I think the first computer. Yeah. And you know one of the the greatest things that was said in that movie was it bullying or hurting someone makes people feel good. It's part of our nature, but how you ruin that is you take you take away the feeling of uh, of it feeling good. Right. You know, you don't make it pleasant. So 
it's like, what use does the bully have if you don't give a fuck? Right. <laughs> That's all what it is. You know, but yeah, you're right. Like you are far removed from that. And I, I, I see it all the time. It happens. Yeah. It happens. And I, it's all about, you know, it's all about power. Even, even the racist stuff that's said in school. That's, yeah. I mean, that's, that's hate language. Do you and see a lot of that? I don't see it. I don't hear it, but I'm sure it's, it's there. Yeah. You know, I and, wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. I mean, but again, to, to the degree of, of that hate language in our school, you still have to look at it and be like, I don't give a fuck. Like, you can keep going, but I'm not going to let that affect me. Yeah. And obviously, that's easier said than done because of, of who I am ethnically, you know? I'm, I, would, I don't know how it feels like to be in that position. I don't know how it feels like to be an African-American and, and be called the N-word, you know, 17 times. I don't know that feeling. Right. But at the same time, I also know that I have a choice as to how things affect me. Mm-hmm. And if anyone were to put me in that position, I'd like to think that I could just say, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. You know, I hope so. Do your kids know to do that? Have you, have you preached that? Yeah. That's good. You know, and you know. obviously it's important to, to advocate for people, you know, if, if they have trouble advocating for themselves, but at the same time, it's like, I'm not going to be here all the time. Your parents aren't going to be there for you all the time. You know, you got to be, you got to be strong. Like we can't make this world safe for you. You got to be strong. You know, you got to be equipped with knowledge and you have to be equipped with, uh, with a strong sense of, of value and self-worth for yourself. That's how you defeat racism and that's how you defeat bullying. Um, it's hard for them obviously because they're, they're young and vulnerable, but I mean, they're, they show, there's so much promise in them and they're so, they're so resilient. That's one, one thing I talked about with a parent is that if there's anything that I've learned in my 11 years of teaching, it's that children are so resilient, right? You know, they're so resilient. They're so strong because they deal with the crummiest shit. Yeah. Both at home and at school. And they, they come back, you know, they come back. Yeah. <sighs> How you doing? I'm toasty. <laughs> I'm doing great. Are you still cold? Yeah. yeah. I am incredibly cold. <laughs> Did you like turn the heat down? Actually, the heater's not even on. <laughs> There's <laughs> the heat's off because you got that that humming noise in the back. You don't want to light this candle? Yeah. You light the candle. Is that going to keep you warm? Yeah. <laughs> it crackles just like a real fire. We could turn, we could turn on the heat. No. We'll turn on the heat. Well, it's patients. 72 degrees in here. Um, I don't know why you're being a little bitch, but... <laughs> <laughs> do you want a blanket or a robe? A robe? You got a robe? I do have a robe. You don't, you don't ever use your robe? I did... I did when I wanted to save money. <laughs> I turned off all the heat to, and put a robe oh, on. That's all I'm this about, house man. is so goddamn hard to to heat up. It's so big. And is I'm it really? Fucking spending so much money, man, on electricity and gas, and we're not even using all a lot of it. <laughs> it's I don't know what. This house is so expensive. Ah. Look at me I complaining guess, about a big goddamn house. I mean, you when you bought it, you called it your your big, tiny house. It's such a stupid term. <laughs> <laughs> it was such a shitty way of describing it. I'm lucky is what it is. Or no, I'm not even lucky. I'm, I feel like I've earned this. Yeah. But I also feel like I... I don't need this, sure. you know? Do I deserve it? Yeah. Did I work hard for it? Absolutely. But I don't need it. I don't. 
I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I think you got a nice ass house. Thank you, man. I didn't, and that's another thing too. It's like I didn't, I didn't do anything. I just opened the door and put all my shit in here. <laughs> the 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 owners, it just had it had it so well made and maintained, and it's beautiful. Yeah, I didn't do a damn thing. I actually, I think broke more things. <laughs> we moved in. <laughs> oh. This I like the space. I think this is. I think you picked a really good place to record this. Thank you. And not the uh, the basement, the sauna. Yeah. I'm yeah. Gonna, did I tell you I'm going to go to King Spa? Are you really on Monday? On Monday. Shouldn't you be in class on Monday? Not that shit. Mm-mm. <laughs> I'm taking the day off. You hear that, mom and dad? <laughs> He's taking the day off. He's taking your money to go to King Spa. <laughs> it's crazy, dude. You get, how many people can skip class? Yeah. Yeah, that's how, I mean, look, it happens. It's different. It's different in professional school. Our lectures are recorded. So we all wait in our pajamas hmm. until those lectures come out and we just watch them at home. Why not? Right? <laughs> I don't know. That's like endemic in professional school. People just like, they don't go to lectures. They just watch. Cause that's what they're taught in school is they're taught to take this information, absorb it mm-hmm. and reflect it back to me. Yeah. That's you how know? I got my master's degree. <laughs> <laughs> I watched videos and responded to them. Pretty much. That's, I mean, the, the way that professional school is taught it's so different, mm-hmm. so different from, from undergraduate, from, from any other teaching institution, any grade level, like elementary school. It's just, it's, I don't know. It's very, it's very structured. Mm-hmm. I don't like the way that it's, uh, it's, it's rigorous Yeah, and everything's just by the book. You know, that's a funny word is rigorous. And so a bunch of teachers and I were talking about rigor. And how rigor is like in every part of, there's like a CPS vision statement that they sent out. Rigor yeah. is in like every page. Administration is always saying rigor. Do you know what rigor means? It's the rigidity of a certain structure. Right. It's like, why, why, why is that like a good thing? Right. You know, I mean, it's obviously important to instill specific skills and, and technical knowledge, but like, does everything got to be so goddamn rigorous? Right. You know? Um, yeah. And it's, you're right. Like the way that we we're trying to absorb information. I mean, it just, it's kind of just to get to the next step. What is it with, what is it with CPS? You know, that, yeah. What is it the money? Oh yeah. It all comes down to money. Everything all, all kind of comes down to money. You know, I mean, we take these, we look at these standardized tests. Why do we have them? It, and it has less to do about learning. You know, we have them because it's, we want to keep up with, with some type of standard. You know, um, that's one aspect of it. The other is you have all these private companies coming in and the best way to get their hands and make money on education is Testing. Pearson mm-hmm. is one of the biggest testing companies out there. They're right. making billions of dollars on education. So they're a big component of this testing, um, this testing, you know, phenomenon. Right. You, we, we're teaching students how to take tests. Yeah. Yeah. We're teaching students how to take tests, but it also, what's really strange about it is that it's all tied to funding. And that's something that was, that happened under the Obama administration, mm-hmm. right? You have, you know, when Bush was in office and he put together the No Child Left Behind Act um, or program, you have immediately following him, Arne Duncan taking office with Barack Obama, and they supported the Race to the Top program. The Race to the Top program tied funding to testing. Mm-hmm. You know, so you have this, these disenfranchised uh, schools and for them to survive, they have to test well for money. You know, like if you don't test well, you don't get the right funding. Right. 
So that that's kind of a backwards way of thinking about yeah. it. It's like, shouldn't the disenfranchised schools get more money? And that's what's all over CPS. Sure. Right now, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 95% of students had to take the park test in order for our school to get funding. That was that was a big statement that was made prior to the park testing that actually happened about like two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, that changes park a lot t- of What things. is the park test? The park test... Um, oh God, I don't even know what it stands for, but it's supposed to replace the ACT. As, okay. Yeah. Um, because they, they stopped, did colleges like stop taking the ACT or something or they're, they're restructuring mm-hmm. it, they're rewriting it. Well, yeah. And that, that's kind of evolved to park. Okay. That's kind of evolved to park. So it's essentially, I mean, it's obviously still a standardized test, but now, you know, supposedly it's going to, I think, replace, uh, NWEA testing for, for grade schools. Okay. But, um, and I'd have to look into, in on that, but the, the, the shocking thing is that it's, it's still the same standardized test that's tied to funding. Right. You know, and that's, that's what it is. And a lot of people complain about standardized testing, not for the sake of, Oh, my student is, you know, uh, is just is teaching to the test. It's like, it's what's keeping a lot of the status quo are these standardized tests. Do they really like, like push it on you guys? Yeah. Like you, oh, these, yeah. your kids need to hit, I don't know. Yeah. In so many words, you know, it's teaching through the test, teaching to the test, teaching, you know, we, we don't want to say teaching to the test, so we got to kind of change our, our language. Yeah. But it's still, it's just still the same thing. It's, you know, these are, these are the ways that you align your curriculum with the test. Right. You know, SAT is another big thing too. But again, it's like, why do we have them? Well, it's because they're companies tied to these tests yeah. that they have to be part of. Otherwise we don't get funding. It's, just, it's strange. <clears throat> And if that didn't exist, hey, sky's the limit. You know, let's have teachers create their own curriculum, have them have them do things that are more integrative and integrated and uh, interdisciplinary the way that they want to. Yeah. You know, we have Common Core, uh, which are, are are standards that are set by the state, and we have to adhere to those standards. And there are standards that are important, but it doesn't leave room for a lot of, uh, creativity and, and cross disciplinary work. Yeah. And neither does our, our, our scheduling. Like it's, it's so complex, but the, you always go back to the scene of the crime and there's standardized testing there. Yeah. You know, there's always that. And that's kind of the biggest roadblock I feel for, for us to, to do more innovative things. If you had like a dream curriculum. It's a good question, man. I thought about this a lot. Yeah. So it's like, okay, Monaco, you complain about all this stuff, but do you have any solutions? What are your solutions? And so I thought about how, how great it would be to have more of, you know, like, uh, instead of we, so we have core classes, okay. At our school. And then we have electives, and Lane prides itself in the abundance of electives, right? There's so many different things you could do. You could do, uh, you could take AP classes, but you could also take, you know, uh, art classes and you could take, um, you know, there's just, there's just an abundance. Like I just got finished teaching uh, the broadcasting class. We had broadcast journalism there. Why can't those electives be the core classes, you know? I understand that setting up a foundation of math, English, uh, science, all, all those subjects are very important. I'm not omitting that. It's let's start with a very compelling elective mm-hmm. and then from there introduce the fundamentals. Right. You know, why not take a class that talks about how psychology is tied to language in seventh grade? Yeah. Because they understand that stuff. Because I did it in my class. Yeah. You know, we tied a lot of, of psychology to, to English, you know, 
uh, history to Shakespeare. Like those are all elective like classes. Yeah. You know, let's have three teachers, um, you know, for example, uh, art, uh, English and history. Why don't we just combine? We create our own class. We collaborate. We do our own curriculum however we want to. And it's compelling. We, we have projects. We have problem-based learning. And these kids not only learn how to solve problems, but they also operate in a way that the human mind thinks. Mm-hmm. The human mind thinks cross-curricularly or cross-disciplinary. They, right. don't, they don't think in these, in these segmented 50-minute <laughs> windows. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of a more nuanced approach to, to learning material. You're, you're, you're not, that's, that's an innovative way of looking at it. Yeah. And more, to be quite honest, a holistic way of looking at it too. Right. Um, but I would say that that would be one of the biggest solutions is to create more of an integrated uh, curriculum with, with more teacher freedom, I think. Nice. Yeah. So, you know, and obviously that, that goes on a lot in other schools. Other schools have been doing this, you know, for years. Mm-hmm. Um, private schools have been doing it. I, I would like to, to know more about what schools, but I mean, come on, how, it, that's gotta be a way to do it in, in Chicago public schooling, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I mean, if you were, if you can go back in grade school, what would you want to do? Oh man, I don't even think I knew what I wanted to do in what, grade school. What would it be? I don't know. Oh, you didn't know what you wanted I, to do? I didn't, I didn't think I did. Not in terms of a career, but like, what would you want to learn? Like, what would you have been interested in at age, I don't know, like in fourth or fifth grade? Oh, anything. Anything. Yeah. I don't know. Because you were a Music. big, you were a big like, uh, sign, like building stuff. Yeah. You know? You liked the tactile uh, experience, you know, with with building. I don't know if you you did a lot of like erect. You didn't have an erect- erect- erections. Uh, erections. You built erections. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all built erections at some point. At f- at four years old. At four years old. Four years old. <laughs> Legos. I play with a lot of Legos. Yeah. You like science. That's what it was. Yeah. You like science and you liked uh, chemistry. Yeah. Growing up. Yeah. Did you hear about this March, March on science? Yeah. That's going on today. Yeah. No. Um, why aren't you there, man? <laughs> I don't, I, I don't think I want to be there. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. I saw people like dressed up. Yeah. As like uh, beakers. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's cool. (laughs) Lab coats, lab coats and everything. I don't know. It's, it's weird to be at a rally like that. Yeah. A lot of cosplay going on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it's a good, good thing because we need more science. We need more science, man. Yeah. We need to start really looking at what works and what doesn't work and stop doing the shit that doesn't work. <laughs> like there's so much innovation that 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 came from science. It's yeah. like we got to start thinking along those lines of what's right in front of us. That probably would have been uh your PhD. You would have been doing a lot of research, man. Yeah. For those of you who didn't know, I tried applying for my PhD. And that's good. I'm glad that I, I did not get accepted because I need to do more shit. I feel like I need to do more. I need to do more stuff. Oh, man. I can't just be doing podcasts with my dog <laughs> lying on the ground here. I think... <laughs> when did he get here? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But he's the podcast mascot. No, I, yeah, no, I'm glad. It's, if anything, look, I mean, let's say that I, I did get accepted. It's like, I wouldn't, maybe I wouldn't have been able to do this. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that would have been a good thing. <laughs> no. 
Or you could have been yeah. could have been famous. I don't know. I'm I'm just more about. I think I I just want people to listen. Yeah. Yeah. Who I like? Do you think? Uh, think mom and dad would listen to this? Oh, I think anyone would, but whether or not they'd listen to the whole thing. <laughs> I mean, it's it's essentially just two people talking, and that's that doesn't really captivate a lot of people. But hopefully, it captivates some. I would want. I would. I think I would want them. Sure. Listen, you know. Yeah. They didn't really get to to hear us talk. No. Like no. Especially during Filipino family parties, like no one's talking like this. Yeah. Unless there's like a white uncle. Oh yeah. <laughs> you read it too. You know, who is talking about computer stuff or World War One? <laughs> He's got the playbook of uh, questionably racist comments. <laughs> uncle Irv. No. Well, yeah, maybe Uncle Irv a little bit. But I mean, Uncle Irv was fun to talk to. Like, I like talking to him. Uh, I remember <laughs> Matthew, or no, it was it was Ate that would always uh, make fun of me because it's like, oh, he's talking to Uncle Irv again. But <laughs> Uncle Irv had some funny stories. <laughs> I don't, like, what would he tell? He would talk about how he first met Tita Mila. Um, yeah, I don't think I ever heard that story. Yeah, well, I'm going to tell it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this is, I mean, it's not even a secret, but it's not even a great story either, but... Um, I just remember, like, in his voice, he'd be like, you know, when I met your, your Tita, she, uh, I saw her in the hospital, and I was in my gown. Oh, yeah, she was a nurse. Yeah. She was his nurse. Yeah, and she, she pinched me on the butt when I was walking <laughs> through the hallway, you know, and I knew, I knew that was her. <laughs> he did not say romance. it. Yeah, that was, that was definitely not verbatim, but... I mean, he's, he's an interesting guy and he's, uh, if there's anything about him, man, like he was so confident. Yeah. He is so confident. He's such a, it's cool. It's cool again to know him. I, I miss him actually. Um, should we end this? <laughs> I think that's a good run. Maybe. Where are we at? Right now we're at an hour and six wow. yeah wow. an hour and six it's not too shabby cut it print it publish it publish it publish it all right that is the end of podcast one episode one from the adawis podcast i hope you guys enjoyed it um there's gonna be many more of these so uh listen up you can follow me at yadawist on instagram um you could also yeah that's pretty much it <laughs> yeah i'm not gonna give you any more information so follow me on instagram at yadawist thank you guys thank you thank you magellan yadaw for for being here who's talking right now which one is it is which it? Is, is it, it? is it we are good times thank you ladies and gentlemen good night bye-bye